This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. On your mobile, on your wavelength, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got an awful lot to be getting on with today, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be talking, of course, about the latest from the NatWest scandal uh, because the latest is that NatWest, as we were saying yesterday, are now possibly being accused of breaking the law. The entire board is now under pressure to stand down. The company's value has plummeted by £850 million. Uh, the CEO, of course, uh, Dame uh, Allison, has left the building and has also left the two advisory roles she had inside of Downing Street. We're now being told that she may well be eligible uh, for a massive payoff because, of course, that's the way it works in this country. Dame Alison Rose's departure could result in a multi-million pound payoff. That's in the front page of The Times this morning. We're going to be talking to Professor Frank Ferrady, author and sociologist, about how it is that the Wokerati managed to get their hooks so far into the banking sector, into uh, all sorts of other businesses in this country, uh, into all the big corporations where you're talking about inclusivity uh, and diversity being the main thrusting drivers of the business. We've now also got a massive story on our hands with Centrica, the people that sell us gas, because they have made literally a billion pound profit in the first six months of this year. And it's largely due to the fact that they've been able to charge us, the taxpayers and the consumers, massively for the amounts of gas that we use in our homes. The price of gas has actually gone down. Their profits have gone up. And according to Ofgem, the regulator, uh, it's entirely okay for them to do so because they haven't been able to make much money in the last few years. Oh, really? Well, guess what? Uh, We've also been contributing to their profits by giving them taxpayers' money from the government through the consumer to help pay those eccentrically big bills and crazily large bills. It's absolutely scandalous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and we're going to try and sort it out right here, right now on the Independent Republican Mike Greer. We're also going to talk about shoplifting, uh, which has gone through the roof, apparently, particularly at places like the co-op. And it's got nothing to do with staffing levels, as far as I'm concerned. It's got everything to do with the fact that people just know that they're not going to be stopped. They're not going to be caught. They're not going to be charged. They're not going to be punished. So they're just committing crimes whenever they want to. Absolutely extraordinary. Also, Arabella Skinner is going to join us from Us For Them. She's going to talk about uh, the danger of COVID's lost pupils, because not only uh, are we currently in a wave of uh, petty crime, but it's going to get worse because these kids who lost time during COVID and didn't bother going to school are going to be the future criminals of this country. Maggie Oliver is here as well. Uh, There's a terrible story. Uh, up in Manchester where the police uh, have been strip-searching young women inside police stations and it's all uh, kicking off. We'll also be talking as well about UFOs a bit later on and e-bike batteries because, quite frankly, 
they're bleeding dangerous. If you've got one, be very careful. Don't put it inside the house because it might explode. It's the real cause of an awful lot of fires currently going on uh, in and out of this country. Also, we'll be talking to the Reverend Stu Campbell. He's the editor of Wings Over Scotland. He also had his bank account cancelled and we'll find out from him when it happened to him, why it happened to him and what he was able to do about it. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Paul says this, so British gas are making record profits at the same time many, many people fear winter. It's like Game of Thrones. Winter is coming. Seriously. Uh, is it done on the NHS? Where the hell is the medical need? It's a mental health issue. Uh, Paul in Fife. Unbelievable what's going on out there. The NHS have admitted basically that all of the strikes that they've had over the course of the last year have now resulted in almost 700,000 inpatient and outpatient um, dates being completely cancelled. That's 700,000 people that have been affected by these NHS strikes. And if you think that that makes it justifiable for the doctors to call another strike in August, uh, then I've got some swampland in Florida to sell you. Let's say a very good morning to Professor Frank Ferreira, author and sociologist. Frank, how are you doing? about yourself? Not bad at all, not bad at all. Wondering uh, whether I could put this question to you. Obviously, we'll talk specifically about NetWest in a minute. But when did the wokery, wokery and the wokists get the grips, uh, get their hooks into the sort of establishment that we seem to be now finding, where every, every sort of stone you lift up, uh, you know, there's some kind of diversity champion underneath it. Somebody who, uh, like Dame uh, Allison, wants to make sure that all the carpets in NetWest Bank are recyclable. Well, you know, uh, they used to talk about the British establishment. Uh, and there used to be an old British establishment, the Old Boys Club, uh, that existed throughout the 20th century. But they've been re- replaced by a new establishment, which re- resembles in many ways an oligarchy. You know, mm. we talk about the Russian oligarchy and the Russian oligarchs. But what we have in, in, in Britain are our own version of what the oligarchs are. These are people who have their own kind of private networks. They know one another. They're in the media. They're in business. They're in corporations. They dominate the cultural institutions. But most important of all, they got their own language, and they very much got their own concern, their own values, which are very, very, very distinct. And in many respects, the uh, Dame Allison really personifies somebody who's uh, got a good education, has been educated into all the uh, weird ideas of diversity, all the weird ideas to do with walkery. She actually lives it. This is what her identity is. And at the same time, she's the kind of person that big companies want to uh, use to kind of promote their their image. So in many respects, she personifies the the new establishment, the kind of uh, individuals who look down upon people like you and me, who actually believe that somehow they are the aware and everybody else is unaware. Mm. And they feel that, like in Russia, they can make up the rules as they go along. So if you don't like somebody, well, you just uh, get rid of their bank account. Yeah. You know, if you don't like somebody, you just kind of create all kinds of problems for them. And it's justifiable on the basis that they've got horrid political opinions, presumably, because they all sit around uh, in their Highgate mansions having dinner with each other, uh, telling each other how brilliant they all are um, and where the latest sort of place to go to in Europe is. Um, But people like Nigel Farage could never possibly be socially friendly to them because they're horrid people. Well, they are. I I think they've, you know, imagine if you were forced to spend uh, a Friday evening having a drink with Dame Alice. And, and her mates. Uh, imagine what the conversation would be like. 
because they would look well, at Well, I know you. exactly what the conversation would be like because I've had conversations with people like this before and they often say things like, oh, you're actually quite a nice guy, aren't you? I didn't think you were. I thought you were horrible. And you go, well, where did you get that idea from? What, because I say things that you don't agree with. You think, oh, therefore, I must be horrible. Well, yes, that's right. So, for example, if you go to... I mean, I've been to dinner party where you had individuals like that. And uh, after a while, it got to the point where routinely my wife would kick me under the table, <laughs> which was meant to signal, shut up, don't, don't say this. And all I was doing was making some very small points about the fact that I prefer meat over vegetables. Yes. Uh, and that I have a, a different outlook on life. What, what I find enjoyable and pleasurable in their eyes is... Uh, verging on the cultural criminal. Yes. So when you have that polarized view of the world, uh, there is, you know, there's very little point of contact. And it's for that reason that they regard people like myself and, and others as somehow morally inferior to them. Yes. So inferior, they can do to us whatever they feel like. Yeah, they do two things, don't they? Because they, they, they convince themselves, one, that they're morally superior to us, but also they convince themselves that they're smarter than we are because how could you possibly believe that if you had a brain for example the other one to throw out them occasionally is you know are you sure uh, that man-made climate change is a thing and they look at you literally as if you just murdered their firstborn child yeah but but they got an expression that they use so if you disagree with them uh, they always tell you you don't get it yeah or they don't get it but actually what they re- what they really mean is that I disagree with them. I get it, but in reality, I get it, but they don't get it. Right. But somehow they can dismiss you just by saying that if you are, uh, if your opinion is different different to theirs, then mm. it implies that you don't get it, which implies you're a little bit stupid. Right. And therefore, it's not worth having a conversation with you. And of course, there is an end game here because what we know, Kevin O'Sullivan was telling me this this morning, that some of the people on the board of NatWest are people who get paid a couple hundred thousand a year and they only have to come in for a meeting maybe once or twice a month or occasionally when there's a bit of an emergency. But basically, if you stay in, in that sort of dinner party circuit and you play the game, and you say all the right things, you can get one of those jobs. Yeah, they got these non-exec jobs, which basically means that you show up, you know, sort of once every couple of months, uh, you smile at people, you have a glass of sherry, or you don't have sherry anymore. It's, it's a new kind of drink that you have with them. Uh, then, uh, then you will have done your bit. Uh, and there's a, a, an interesting uh, kind of group of individuals who don't have real jobs, but they have a lot of n- not, uh, non-exec positions mm. on different corporations. Uh, and that's the way that they network. That's the way that they introduce one, people to each other. And that's how this oligarchy works. It's a, it's a very strange oligarchy because yes. they don't come across as, as dangerous the way that Putin's mm. oligarchy does. But they're just as insidious and they, they are just as morally corrupt yeah. as the Russian one. And where do you think they sort of hail from, most of these people? Have they been possibly to public schools or have they not been to public schools? With the old establishment you kind of thought of as kind of old Etonian, you know, straight into a top job in the stock market or the civil service, generally speaking conservative with a small C, sometimes with a big C. But this is a different tribe, isn't it? It's, it's not an entirely different tribe. A lot of these people have gone to public schools, uh, maybe not to Eton. Mm. Uh, and, but, and a lot of them are the, are, the, are the children of relatively affluent people who have had establishment links in the past. But basically, these are people who, through higher education, have developed a, a, a view of the world uh, that, uh, that is uh, hostile to mm. traditional values. 
they become consultants. I mean, they, typically they become consultants. They go into the media. Uh, very often they become uh, political advisors at a, at a very early point in their lives. Right. And if you look at their, their kind of career, it's all basically uh, doing what I would call non-jobs, you know, where you appear, you promote, you are in public relations, you're in the business of impression management, but you never actually get your hands dirty and you don't particularly work very hard because what's important is your appearance, your identity, yes. who you know, rather than the fact that you're an engineer, a scientist, you've done something creative. These are people that are, are, are very much a, a new kind of establishment. Uh, and these are all are, the people, uh, by the way, with, 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 with putting the sort of the tribal aspects of it all together. These are all the people who could work from home and who very much did work from home and who were very happy to work from home and still maybe do uh, during COVID. Yeah, I mean, they, they feel most at home in their digital bedroom. And in the ideal world, the way they like to live their lives is spend a couple of hours at home playing around with their computers and, and then going out and maybe going to Highgate or, or Islington, have a have a have a, a nice cup of coffee, chat to some people, you know, sort of then go shopping, you know, sort of to a, a whole a whole uh, sort of wellness and wellness shop or a, one of those shops that sells all those cute little nuts and herbs and stuff that will make you healthy mm. and then go back and do maybe another hour hours work. And that's the kind of way of life that, that yes. they kind of cultivate. Somebody just sent me an article from 2019 from The Guardian, of all places, by uh, the environment editor written there, interview with Mark Carney, who was then uh, the chairman of the bank, governor of Bank of England, saying basically companies and industries that are not moving towards zero carbon emissions will be punished by investors and will go bankrupt. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Carney is very interesting. I mean, he's, I think he's a Canadian. Yeah, he is. And really, uh, and really uh, kind of exudes the kind of Canadian values, which are the, the wokest in the world at the moment. Mm. And it's interesting how the banking sector, uh, which used to be uh, very much kind of hard and uh, calculating and pragmatic and instrumental, how the banking world has a, a kind of embraced and adopted these kinds of values where... Uh, you can imagine that whenever they have a board meeting in a bank, you know, they usually begin by waving the rainbow flag, you know, sort of and, and swearing on the Bible of LGBTQ, how much they believe in diversity, how that's much more important uh, than the company's profits. Yeah, absolutely right. Frank, stay where you are if you wouldn't mind. We've got some other things to talk to you about. Professor Frank Ferradi's here, author and sociologist, a man who can lift the lid on how the wokists took over Britain, because that's what they've done. And thanks to Nigel Farage, we've now got an idea of exactly how odious and how pernicious their influence has been on banking, uh, on the civil service and on much else besides. We'll have more coming after this on Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Professor Frank Ferradi, author and sociologist. Frank, you wrote a piece recently about education, uh, asking the question, has discipline become a dirty word? I don't want to trivialise what you wrote, but I don't know if you saw uh, the latest sort of uh, wokest report on the Beano, uh, which has been uh, reformed uh, for its 85th anniversary. They brought in the same people that fixed Roald Dahl's books uh, to make them more inclusive. And one of the things they've done is they've made the teachers um, friendly. Instead of the teachers being, you know, horrible, nasty individuals who used to go around spanking fatty and spotty and generally making the kids' lives a misery, they've now found that they've made the teachers nurturing and sensitive. And I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think uh, pedagogues at the moment uh, like to present themselves as 
either uh, therapist or would-be therapist uh, or as your mate. And they very often try to motivate people by making jokes rather yeah. than making hard decisions. And I think it, it, uh, what I really am concerned about is the idea that a teacher is, is an authoritative figure who basically lays down the law and, indic and tells young people what they can and cannot do has given way to uh, somebody who's really just one of the lads and very often teachers you know sort of uh, boast about the fact that they don't you know order people around they don't give instructions they are prepared to learn from the pupils just as much as the other way around yes exactly right because at the end of the day um it all begins doesn't it i mean it brings us around full circle again to the the, the the sort of the woke elites that are running the country it all starts in school doesn't it because kids now particularly those in private schools tend to be kind of self-identifying as various different things. They basically believe that they can do anything they want. They feel very entitled. They don't seem to want to be taught anything as such because they think they already know everything. Yeah, I mean, I know I, I had this very strange example uh, just before COVID when I went and gave a lecture to some students, A-level students. And I noticed that one of them had their, their um, mobile phone out and was texting. And I just basically said, put that away, or uh, either you put that away, your, your mobile phone, or you leave the class. Yeah. And, and everybody looked at me as if I had said something extraordinary rather than mm. a, a sensible, remarkable fact yeah. that you're here to learn, not to play with your phone. And it, afterwards, I was talking to the other teachers, and they said, look, what you did was very brave because most of us you know, are, are not in a position to tell the pupils to put their phone away. We got used to the fact that they got their phone world and you know, their digital world while at the same time they're in the classroom and listening to us. Yeah. I mean, it really is extraordinary. And I mean, you've said before that sometimes in your experience as a lecturer, you've seen the change. You've seen the way that people have taken a different route now and a different attitude to what they expect from you. And I've, I've had friends who've gone into the lecturing business who say that now because people are paying for it, they actually expect you to do all the work. Well, there is that, but there's also... Uh, unfortunately, the lowering of standards. So uh, when I was a student or when I began to teach, it was normal to expect people to read books. You know, sometimes I would tell students, go away and come back uh, and tell me what you think of this book you read. Whereas now what we do is we basically give people handouts. We, do, we don't expect these new group of students to actually struggle through a, a difficult text uh, because they are our customers. You know, we're there to service them. So as a result of that, what you have is a real diminishing of the quality of education. Mm. We're getting a lot of people into university, but uh, the piece of paper that they get at the end of it is really not worth very much because they haven't been put through the process of being stretched, being challenged in the way that it was the case in the past. Right. And just to move over to um, the other big story of the morning, British gas profits jumping to a record £969 million in the first six months of this year. So practically a billion pounds of um, profit they've made, right? And this is entirely down to Ofgem, who raised the, the cap for, for gas and electric, electricity, decided to get government assistance to pay these companies extortionate amounts of money. Now, I don't know whether there's going to be any kind of windfall tax on this, but the gas company, Centrica, are basically saying, oh, yeah, uh, we're going to be sharing this money out uh, with our investors and our shareholders. So, so we're paying now double what we used to pay for gas. Um, and not only am I paying for my own gas bill, but I'm also paying for other people's gas bills as well. And the company are walking away laughing all the way to the bank. It's extraordinary. 
it is it, it's it's surreal uh, what some of these companies get away from i mean get away with uh, uh, i have this private personal beef with the companies that it's impossible to talk to anybody mm. i've been paying a phenomenal amount of money from my gas bill which makes no sense because i haven't been using very much gas right. and every time i try to get in contact with them i can never get a human voice no and when i email them uh, uh i get these uh uh, letters back saying thank you very much for you know, for, for for writing to us we'll, we'll we'll get in touch but that never happens right. and in the meantime i'm paying more and more money and this must happen to everybody so it's almost like the way that it works is that uh, you and i and everybody are subsidizing this company they're like a big piggy bank yeah and it's almost like that every month we put more and more money into the piggy bank uh which they then open up surreptitiously and then dole out to their friends and to their shareholders. It, it is a real yeah. racket. It That's is actually like, a pro- you're right, you're absolutely right. It's like a sort of a protection racket. You basically give them money, no matter how much you've used of their product. Um, and you're expected to continue to give them money uh, ahead of the time that you use the product. I don't do that. I refuse to give any of these people the direct debit, which means that they charge me absolutely the maximum they can and are constantly bothering me to try and get me onto a different tariff. And then they send me a bill uh, to say, or a reminder to pay a bill they haven't actually sent me and start harassing me for payment before I've seen the bill. Yeah. I had the experience where they owe me a lot of money right. because, I, like I said, I've been using very much gas. So what they, what, what they do is they, they don't actually give the money back, but they send me these reassuring letters that uh, indicate that uh, eventually this money will be uh, paid back or we're going to do something in the future. In the meantime, I've effectively lent them uh, thousands of pounds. Right. Uh, over the last 18 months, which they, which, which, which is my money, which they're holding, and they're not allowing me to have any access to, and and to them that's good practice. That's really how these kind of companies behave. So when I use the word racket, I use it carefully. I, I don't just uh, simply use it as a swear word, but that's really how they're behaving, you know, almost like a law unto themselves. Yeah, it really is quite an extraordinary way to conduct business. But yet again, we are stuck with it because in this country, you don't really have a choice. And the more um, that you try to change the way you live, the more difficult it becomes, it seems now. It is because they promised us a lot of competition. And they always tell you, well, if you don't like your gas company, then go somewhere else. Yeah. Well, you know, if, if you haven't got a life and you can devote four days to trying to get through the phone to get at a different company and, and spend you know all that time, just kind of waiting for a positive reaction, then maybe you can transfer to another company. But then you discover that there's no difference between the behavior of the other gas company to the one that you've left. Yeah. So you've got this fantasy of competition and a reality of, of a service that is totally contemptuous yeah. of its customers. My, my, my Wi-Fi is, is my particular bugbear. It's, it's, for you, it's gas. For me, it's Wi-Fi because every now and again, I get so fed up with the uselessness of my Wi-Fi that I think, right, there must be a better one. I go and get a better one and it's better for about three months and then it gets bad again. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that can't just be because that's the way the Wi-Fi is. It must, there must be, they must be doing something to make it not as good as it was. I mean, it is, a, it is really sad that you and I are here talking about the different problems that we experience with our infrastructure, which is essential for our lives. Yeah. But so many of us are, get so angry and so irritated by the fact that uh, somehow we spend all this money on all this stuff and all this infrastructure and we get nothing back in return. And, yeah. and, and all you get are, are, are these pleasant letters and these smiles. 
and they continue. Have you noticed? They continually send you a feedback form. Oh, yeah. You love to have your feedback. That's, oh, yeah. That's Every, the one any, thing that you Anything that you on. do now, before you've actually got whatever it was that you've asked for, or you've paid for, yeah. you get a questionnaire asking how the experience was. And I'm like, well, ask me exactly. once I've got the thing that I've asked you to send me, and then I'll tell you. <laughs> but maybe we're yeah, just getting yeah, old, Frank. Maybe maybe we're just getting old and that's the way it's going to be. But listen, great to talk to you as ever. Professor Frank Ferrady, author and sociologist there, musing uh, on what is going on uh, in this world of ours and why the wokists have taken over quite so much of what it is that we do and how they run everything. Jane says this, Mike, I used to work for a large company with their values and I used to love to wind my managers up when asked to go to meetings or to have to listen to their thoughts by always disagreeing or refusing to go to a meeting. They never knew how to deal with me and gave up in the end. It was good fun as I hate being told what to think or how to act in a particular way, like the taking the knee debacle, which I just laughed at when asked if I would like to take part. That's why I love your show. Lots of differing views. Well, that's right. I mean, remember that taking the knee business. I mean, you practically expect to turn up at work and have everybody taking the knee in the lobby because it's a good thing to do. You know, the world has gone completely insane in certain aspects. That's why we're here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham to cut through it all. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Henry Bolton because the immigration lawyers are now uh, getting, getting their noses firmly into the trough. Uh, and according to today's uh, story in the Daily Mail, the Prime Minister wants to throw the book at the corrupt migration lawyers. We'll find out what he wants to do. Coming next on Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Trisha Talk. Fashion Talk. Happy Talk. Honest Talk. Trisha Goddard. The original queen of talk is on Talk Radio. People have to think about that. Get on the guest list with the legendary Trisha Goddard. I'll be coming live to you from Connecticut in the USA. A transatlantic talk show with a difference. Trisha Goddard. Do you think he can empathise with what the British public are going through? Trisha Goddard in the afternoon. Saturday and Sundays from 4 on Talk Radio and Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham and of course uh, the home of common sense. We are the place to get the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, Maggie Oliver, a campaigner uh, and former policewoman is going to join us. She's going to talk about what's going on inside Greater Manchester Police because it's now uh, going to be the subject once again of an independent investigation. Uh, Andy Burnham is saying that uh, because basically they're being accused of running all sorts of rogue practices inside police stations in Manchester where a lot of young women have been taken in uh, and strip searched for no apparent reason and mistreated. So we'll find out what that is all about coming up in the next hour. Right now, though, let's talk to Henry Bolton, international border control expert, because all this week we've been telling you about the Daily Mail's campaign about corrupt immigration lawyers who have been uh, basically telling people, asylum seekers, how to stay in this country if they're illegal, how to make sure that the Home Office grants them permission to stay, uh, how they can possibly rearrange a marriage for them, how they can possibly pretend to be suicidal, giving them antidepressants, how they can construct a story which is untrue, that they might be gay or that they might be facing some kind of terrible, terrible punishment and torture if they get sent back to where they came from. Um, Now, apparently, the Prime Minister has said it's time to throw the book at these migration lawyers because many of them are still out there uh, why they may not be practising as solicitors, I'm sure they'll be giving advice uh, to many, many of these illegals. And so uh, something needs to be done. Henry, very good morning to you. Morning, Henry. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yeah. Good man. Um, this is an extraordinary story. We've been covering it pretty much all week. Um, 
something must be done. Um, but it's something that you and I, I, I imagine, I, certainly I wasn't surprised to see that this has been going on because I always knew that there was lawyers there who were helping people to come here illegally and to then stay here illegally. But, I mean, do you think anything will be done? Well, Mike, you know, there are two things here. One, it, some of us have known that this has been going on for a very long time. And I don't mean guessed or assumed. We knew it was going on. And I was working on a, on a contract with the National Criminal Intelligence Service, as was, 20 years ago. Mm. And they knew this was going on. Um, now, what I, uh, I fail to understand is why the force of the law has not been applied before now. If anything... There is conspiracy to commit an offence here. Uh, I'm saying that as a former police officer. So why hasn't action been taken earlier? And, you know, we, we have this situation now where the Bar Council is saying that the Prime Minister is politicising this issue. No, the people, and, and he's bringing the, the legal profession into disrepute. No, the lawyers who are fundamentally corrupt are bringing the legal profession into disrepute. And it's interesting that the vice chairman of the Bar Council, who has come out with this criticism of the Prime Minister, it now turns out was a former Labour councillor. So the, the problem here, Mike, is in, sen in a sense, immigration writ larger, because uh, the, the unfortunate fact is that in many countries... Oh, we've just lost uh, the signal there with Henry. We'll try and get that back because uh, we need to know what he's got to say, obviously. Um, Henry Bolton there talking about the story this morning on the front page of the Daily Mail in which basically um, a letter to the Solicitor's Regulation Authority uh, has been written by Alex Chalk, the Lord Chancellor, saying that the practices exposed are unacceptable and must stop. Sorry, Henry, you were just rudely interrupted there by the signal. Can I carry on? OK, sorry, Mike. Yeah, the, the unfortunate fact is that uh, we've we've got a lot of people coming into this country for whom corruption of this sort is normal. Now, that's one of the problems of governance in, in many countries of the world, but it is normal practice. You can go from Russia to Ghana to Nigeria to Pakistan to Afghanistan to Albania and so on. You know, it is a normal, accepted day-to-day -day practice that the corruption, whether it's with your dentist or with a fire service or with lawyers, it's a fact of life. People live by it. Mm. And what we have failed to do is enforce our own laws when it, there has been a difference in, in, in that sort of understanding of normal and acceptable behaviour. Mm. And there is a law. There are clear laws in this country preventing this. And we need to enforce them because otherwise we're undermining them. And I don't know whether you got the bit earlier that I said, you know, we have got um, a, a situation here where the Bar Council is criticising the Prime Minister for, yeah. for bringing the, the uh, profession, legal profession into disrepute over this. No, no, no. It is lawyers who are fundamentally corrupt. And not all lawyers are, of course. It's a minority. Mm. But it is lawyers who are corrupt who are doing this. And we can't allow the Bar Council 
to turn this into a political discussion when actually it's more about criminality. No, of course. And as you pointed out, he, it turns out this guy was a Labour councillor and he's actually run for uh, seats as a Labour MP, potentially, uh, in Bristol, I think, and, and somewhere else. But the bottom line surely is, is that the legal profession is supposed to police itself. You know, they're very hot on, on that, aren't they? They don't like to be told what to do by government. They like to think of themselves as kind of above government. But I've got a point here being made by Tony in Barrow. He says, Mike, if they lie in court, it's his perjury and is the tax man investigating tax avoidance and are they how and possibly that their houses should be the subject of the proceeds of crime and taken off them and i know some of these lawyers have supposedly been fired but it's not clear whether they're still operating somewhere and it's not clear whether some of these companies that specialize in immigration have stopped these practices mike the law and i'm just going to sorry i'm just going to look to my right here because i don't know it by but far. a person who, who agrees with any other person or persons that a course of conduct shall be pursued and that that course of conduct will necessarily amount to or involve the commission of any offence or offences by one or more of the parties, that is a crime, Mike. Yes. It is a crime for which you can go to jail. Now, what we've got here is a failure to enforce that law. What we've got is a failure to, of the judicial system mm. to effectively punish the people who are brought in front of it uh, as a result of that crime. We... We have got a fundamental problem in enforcing the laws in these countries. And when we do not enforce the laws that we have, whether it's on our borders, whether it's in relation to immigration or whether it's in relation to obstruction of the highway or anything else, we are undermining the rule of law. And that is where we have a problem in society. You know, if society starts to break down and then you have anarchy if the rule of law is ignored. Mm. Um, so it's, it, there's a fundamental issue here, Mike. If we have got to enforce those laws. Otherwise, there are going to be unscrupulous lawyers who exploit the, the opportunity that they're given. Right. And also, the other part of this story that I think is important to note is the Home Office and its gullibility or rather its willingness, at least, to kind of believe everything that they're told. You know, like, if you say to somebody uh, who's seeking asylum in an interview, if they ever actually bothered to interview them in person, you know, why are you here? And they say, well, I've escaped from my country because I'm gay uh, and I face persecution if I go back. And they go, oh, OK, then they just tick the box and say, go over to the next desk. You know, they don't seem to question uh, or indeed investigate any of these claims. Indeed, Mike, and I've said before... One of the problems that we've got with this whole asylum processing is that the government has cut, cut costs. They have reduced the standard of training of many of the people who are actually there to, sort of, to safeguard the country by, by they're, they're the people who administer this process um, and do the interviews and so on, do the scrutiny. They are, they're not well enough trained. Often it's outsourced to companies who themselves are supposed to do the training, but often cut corners on it. We have we have neglected the asylum system as much as we neglected the police. Mm. The Conservative government cut by policing by 21,000. They did similar to the asylum system, and they are not putting the resources, resources into it that it needs. Now, Rishi Sunak's comments about this whole legal thing have actually been quite passionate and robust on Twitter. I, I hope it's he that has written those tweets because then I take some heart from that. Mm. But rhetoric is not going to solve this problem. No, it really isn't. Um, and as some people point out, if you go to certain communities uh, in this country, I know people have been pointing out that one of the one of the uh, law firms, I think it was Rashid and Rashid, uh, has got something like four different offices in uh, a part of South London, uh, pretty much in the same street. You know, so they're kind of out there selling their wares and basically mm -hmm. encouraging people practically to break the law. Indeed. Mike, this this is 
this is aiding people smuggling. I'd say it's on the verge of people smuggling itself, the definition. And it is, it is conspiracy to commit offences. You know, we could throw the, the book at these people. Why are we not doing so? I suspect it's because the Home Office and the police say that they don't have the time, they don't have the resources and so on. Well, the alternative, Prime Minister and Home Secretary, is that you let this country just descend further and further into chaos. Mm. If you're going to have laws, then bloody well implement them and enforce them, because otherwise this is the result. Yes. I mean, and something uh, uh, likely will be done. If Alex Chalk has written to the Bar Council and said that he wants something done about this, then uh, they're going to have to come up uh, with some kind of plan, aren't they? So the Solicitor's Regulation Authority will be the next lot of people we talk to to find out what the plan is. Meanwhile, before I let you go, Henry, uh, let me ask you about the current situation, because... Um, obviously, the rainy weather and, and, and the, the wind may have stopped a bit of the uh, channel crossings, I suppose, for a while, but, uh, but mm-hmm. not for long. Uh, not, not for long, I don't know. Oh, I think they finally um, exploded the Wi-Fi at Henry's house. Uh, sorry, just missed the, missed the last bit there. I don't know whether you've got me back now. Yeah, you're back. It's 1,397 off the top of my head that came in last week. Yeah. Um, you know... That's the barges full plus more. Yeah. Um, that's in a week. I know. We, we are going to continue to have this problem, Mike, of trying to find accommodation if we don't stop the flow and if we don't move these people back to the countries that they came from, yeah. quite simply. There is no plan. You talked about a plan now. I'm convinced there is no plan. It is all about firefighting, particular issues of the day. Um, and that is one of the fundamental problems here. There needs to be root and branch strategic a root and branch strategic approach to this, and that includes reviewing all of the weaknesses of the process, of the accommodation, of the the disruption of organised crime, and all of that, the law, it all needs to be done. It can be done in eight months. I know that's a long time, but at the moment, the government's doing nothing. All of that could be done in eight months, and it is not being done. It's been done elsewhere. Why aren't we doing it here? No, it's a a very very good question. Um, Thank you very much indeed. Henry Bolton, OBE, international border control expert there on uh, the shambles. Uh, of the Home Office, the shambles of the Immigration Service, the shambles of our immigration policy, and how it is that for years and years and years, these lawyers uh, have been getting away with basically helping asylum seekers to live here illegally by making up stories. Absolutely incredible. Uh, Sandy says this, just because they're practising solicitors, it doesn't mean they're honest. I worked with a probate solicitor in Devon in the early 2000s who ran off with a million quid of the client's money. And eight years ago, a solicitor in Woodbridge cleared the client account out of six million quid. I mean, somebody's uh, lawyers really need to have their uh, licences taken away. It has to be said. Got a bit of breaking news for you. Nadine Dorries' local town council has apparently written to her to raise their concerns and frustrations at the continuing lack of representation for the people of mid-Bedfordshire at Westminster. They demand that she immediately vacate her seat and allow someone else to represent the area. Well, I wonder if the local town council is a Tory council uh, or a Labour council. We shall see. Uh, We might get a message from uh, Nadine Dorries later on uh, in the show. This is Talk TV. (laughs) 
Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got an awful lot going on today, I can tell you that. We're going to be having a go uh, at the incredibly ridiculous profits being made by British Gas. Centrica, uh, their main company, has made £2.1 billion of profit uh, in the first year of this year alone. Absolutely record numbers. And why? Because they're charging us an absolute fortune for the stuff that they used to charge us about half the same amount for. Uh, last year, uh, they made something like £93 million, uh, in the same period. And they've more or less, they've not doubled it, they've not quadrupled it, they've multiplied it tenfold. So they've now made £969 million in profit in the first half of this year, uh, contributing to £2.1 billion uh, over the course uh, of the whole year. It's absolutely extraordinary how much money they're making. And it's all down to us, the taxpayer, uh, who is absolutely funding this incredible wealth that they're creating inside a company, which is effectively a bit of a monopoly. You can't really get your gas from very many places, I'm afraid. And it looks as though they are absolutely doing what they wish with our money and making as much of it as they possibly can. Uh, we're continuing with the story about NatWest, of course. We continue with the story of the illegal migrants coming here and being helped to stay here illegally uh, by dodgy and corrupt uh, migration lawyers. Coming up in this hour, we're joined by Arabella Skinner, the director of Us For Them. We're going to talk about the legacy of the lockdown because on the front page of The Times today, it says COVID's lost pupils will cause... A a huge crime wave. These are all the kids who basically stopped going to school and have never returned. And that comes on top of a report today that we've got uh, in which it says that shoplifting in this country has reached an all-time high. So we're probably already seeing some of that crime wave that the time... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns this morning is actually predicting. We've also got some Prince Harry news for you as well. Uh, he suffered a major loss uh, in his ability to sue the media. Uh, we'll bring you more on that coming up in a little while as well. But let's go first of all uh, to Arabella Skinner, director of Us For Them, because uh, this huge crime wave, Arabella, very good morning to you, uh, which morning. is being predicted, I think perhaps has already started, hasn't it? Well, I think what's really shocking about this, Mike, is um, not that the 
not the information about the numbers going up. We've talked about this loads of times. Yeah. These numbers just keep moving up. And it's been predicted consistently since 2020 onwards that any children out of school are going to lose the skills and the ability and therefore probably end up in these kind of issues, particularly around um, county lines and the other areas. For me, the really shocking element is that Gillian Keegan is apparently just about to begin an attendance drive. What are we doing? In a, it's three years from this problem being raised. And she says she's going to help schools confront children about why they're not in school. Right. I'm not sure confronting these children are necessarily going to help them work out why they're not there and support them. We need to put the, thing, the elements in place to get children back into school because, uh, you know, Every year, these numbers go up and up and up. Last year, we were talking, you know, sort of 800,000 children missing 10% of school. We're now talking 1.7 million children missing 10% It's an awful of lot of kids, isn't it? I it mean, it's shocking. Presumably, the other problem, Arabella, as well, uh, is that some of these kids are no longer kids because, you know, if it was, say, no. if they were 15 or 16 um, when yeah. the pandemic started and lockdown started, they're now over 18 and God knows where they are. Yeah, we're only, th these numbers are only including children who are, who are actually in school at the moment. Right. So all those kids who are now 19, 20, they're not being included in these numbers. And they, they would have been children that got behind um, and, and have missed out. The Children Commissioner has been shouting about this for the last couple of years. Um, and she's looked at a couple of the specific areas that are stopping kids getting into school. One is obviously mental health. Yeah. We know that's a real problem, particularly social media and teenage girls. Right. Issues around young carers who are supporting, send, but more importantly, the, being, once you get behind, it's very, very hard to catch up. And if you got behind during the pandemic and you carried on getting behind, each time you go back in, it's harder mm. and it's harder to catch up. Um, we know the National Tutoring Programme was a bit of a failure. They didn't even spend all the money they put in there because they made it so restrictive for schools to be able to actually support children. We know that SEND, we know that speech and language there's a very big interaction between our prison community and those with speech and language issues. Right. We need to be heavily supporting that. Um, but also, they say ministers have committed to support 1,700 children with mentoring programmes. We've got 125,000 children we know of mm. that are missing 50% of school. What's 1%? going to do for those children mm, exactly right and what about the school's role in all of this because i don't know whether they do it anymore but there used to be such a thing as sort of a truant officer if you weren't at school yeah. somebody would come to the house to see why uh, and what was actually going on do they yeah. even do that anymore it, it varies from school to school but yes they do a lot of schools have incredibly supportive people who are going in and going out to schools mm. i mean i know personally of senior leadership teams who during the pandemic went out to every vulnerable child to check they were okay mm. and keep going but they have so much going on a lot of these teachers in what they're trying to pick up and what they're trying to do um and and the sheer just not having enough enough numbers of support um but it's one thing to go in and find out where these children are, and this is where the language of confronting comes in, but just confronting and getting a kid into school isn't necessarily going to solve the problem if they are three years down the line and it's a mental health issue, it's an anxiety issue. It's a, it's a I'm actually a year 10 child with the ability of a year sex mm. child. Right. You know, it's all the other things we need to put in place to support these children who we've let down. And, they, and are they presumably falling through the cracks in all other areas of their lives as well, so that they might be, you know, troubled at home, they might be abused at home, they might be vulnerable in other sorts of ways, they might be taking drugs, They, you know, they might have already left the house, yeah. they might be wandering the streets, I mean, anything's possible. 
the Children's Commission of Work shows that actually this is much more likely mm. for vulnerable children. However, we do know that school avoidance, it has gone across the board in a way that it never did. You know, it was an occasional thing. Right. When my kids were younger, I knew one or two kids that school avoided. Mm. But now I know huge numbers of, of children who have these issues. But it is the most vulnerable children in our society who are going to end up being excluded yeah. and, and, and end up in the criminal justice system. Yeah. I mean, I certainly know just from talking to my own kids that, that they, they know kids at their schools who haven't mm. been there for, say, a year. And, and yeah. nobody knows why, or at least the kids that don't know why, and they're not told. Um, yeah. But they don't understand how somebody could get away with it, basically. Well, they t I think sometimes they turn up in the morning and they can't go. Um, there are some people who genuinely have a serious anxiety issue. They can't, they can't cope with it because mm. they're scared because they've been taught school's quite a scary place. Right. I think we also have to reflect on the fact that we've had three years of sheer disruption. So we obviously had, we had school closures, which the government still keep talking about the fact that schools weren't closed. Well, for 98% of the population, schools were closed. Um, but then we had schools being open, but bubbles, and you were constantly being sent home and when we've actually had schools open we've had strikes so we've had children unable to you know not knowing whether they're going into school the next day or a week later so the it's very hard to convince children that education is important if we don't give them consistency of education no exactly and i mean the other thing i don't think that's helping the school situation overall is the strikes that have happened in no. the most recent times because i know for a fact that kids who see people going on strike will say well if you're not going to turn up for work then i'm not going to bother turning absolutely. up for school absolutely regardless of the rights and wrongs of the strike it sends a message that that shutting down school is acceptable and not being in school is acceptable. And it, we have to remember, it's not just the uh, teacher strikes. Um, lots of children, and mine in particular, have been affected by the railway strikes. You know, how can they actually get into school um, when, when there's no public transport to get them there? So it, it, it has made the uncertainty. Our children have been living with an uncertainty of education and they don't get up each week and assume that they're going to be in school this week. Mm. No, and that is the problem. And also, of course, I know we haven't mentioned the COVID inquiry yet, but, but the COVID yeah. inquiry still looms over all of this uh, like a sort yeah. of dark cloud, unfortunately, yeah. because what they're not doing is looking into the school situation. You're absolutely right, Mike. Um, and there's two key things. So they've now announced their sixth module, so which is going to have hearings in spring 2025, so mm. don't hold your breath. That isn't even children. So... By the time we get to children, we're probably talking 2026, 2027. Yeah. Yeah. Every child in the education system will have grown up. And, and even more telling is they're running this listening programme, the Every Story Matters. Well, I'm afraid if you're under 18, your story doesn't matter because right. they're not letting under 18s contribute. Yes, that's a very good point. Also, it's a ludicrous slogan now because every story doesn't actually matter. You know, because if you have every no. bleeding story, you'll be there till, the, you know, the end of the world, basically. And yeah. you'll still be doing the COVID inquiry in 100 years' time. You know, it's, what's, it's, what's why we have editors of newspapers and why we have producers of, of, of radio shows and TV shows. Otherwise, they'd never stop. You know, it's this kind yeah. of ludicrous notion that everything's important. You know, some things are more important than other things. That's the whole point of the inquiry. Absolutely. And you're expecting them to make their judgment to do it. Mm. And in this case in particular, I don't think we can require we can rely on the inquiry to actually come up with any practical um, solutions because the children are going to be too old. Hopefully they will actually look at the impact of it and look at the question of was the risk and benefit and analysed at all. We, we know it wasn't. But what we need instead of the government 
making comments about, you know, we're going to do an attendance drive. They actually need to invest in proper mentoring for these kids, supporting these children and delivering serious action. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, Arabella, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Thank Arabella you. Skinner, director, us for them uh, on the news of a terrible uh, survey or a study, by, by the way, that's been done. That there's a generation of ghost children who have basically given up on school uh, and are now at risk of turning to crime. Up to 9,000 more young offenders, including 2,000 violent criminals, could be on Britain's streets by 2027, uh, according to this study. A whole generation lost because of schools' closures which didn't ever have to happen and which should never have happened, but which did happen. And that is a problem. We'll talk some more about that because, of course, the crime wave ha has already hit this country because there's all sorts of criminality going on that didn't used to happen. To wit, an awful lot uh, of uh, shoplifting, which has now hit sort of record proportions. Absolutely extraordinary stuff. Now, I told you there was some news on Prince Harry. We have it for you here. Prince Harry's phone hacking case against the Sun's publishers have been thrown out by a judge. Other claims against the paper will go ahead. Prince Harry's phone hacking claims against the Sun's publishers, it says here, were today thrown out by Mr Justice Fancourt, who also dismissed the Duke of Sussex's claim that there was a Buckingham Palace secret agreement with the press as completely and utterly implausible. The Sun's publisher hails the ruling today as a significant victory. So uh, the Sun has been basically uh, exonerated here. Prince Harry's phone hacking claims against the Sun's publishers thrown out by a judge. Um, in arguing his case, says a statement from News UK, the Duke of Sussex has alleged that a secret agreement existed between him and Buckingham Palace and newsgroup newspapers, which stopped newsgroup newspapers from asserting that the Duke's claim had been brought too late. The judge found his claims in relation to this alleged secret agreement not plausible or credible. In other words, a lot of old cobblers. Uh, it is quite clear there was never any such agreement and it is only the Duke who has ever asserted that there was. Mr Justice Fancourt has dismissed the Duke's phone hacking claims against both the News of the World and the Sun on the grounds that the claim had been brought too late. And this substantially reduces the scope of his legal claim, say the Sun. The exact nature and scope of any trial of the remainder will be the subject of further hearings. So once again, it's yet another setback for Prince Harry in his sort of obsessive need for some kind of revenge against the newspapers that he thinks have blighted his life. Because at the end of the day, you know, most people would agree that, yes, Prince Harry might have had a difficult childhood, that, yes, it was tragic that he lost his mother at such a young age. Yes, that, you know, um, uh, he may be a guy that is in need of some serious um, help in terms of people talking to him uh, and helping him through it. But at the end of the day, his war against the media isn't going anywhere. His war against the media and trying to blame the media for everything about his life that went wrong is failing. It's not working. And he might as well just give it up. For heaven's sake, get a grip, Harry. Hazza! Get on with it. Your life, that is. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, the home of common sense. It is the one place where you get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh, how about this from Wayne, who says, You talk TV is fake. You say you are for the people, but you are not. You say what you want. I've tried to contact you, but you only talk to your own people. Well, you know what the number is, Wayne, dear? 0344 499 1000. If you ring that number, you get through uh, to the people here who answer the phones. Um, and if you sound vaguely sensible, we'll put you on. I don't know what it is you want to talk to me about, but by all means, call the show. This is one of the few places where you can actually have your say uh, if you are a member of the public, because a lot of shows don't even let you on. But we do. So do try. 
and try again. And I forgive you uh, for having a go at me. But, you know, for heaven's sake, you can't say that you can't have access to this show because you can. Everybody can. Uh, all you're going to do is ring that number, 0344 499 1000. Let's talk now, though, to Maggie Oliver, former detective constable with the Greater Manchester Police, a campaigner, of course, as well, on all kinds of issues uh, around the justice that we should be seeing uh, for the people of this country. And once again, I'm afraid Greater Manchester Police is in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons. Uh, the story actually is trending now uh, on Twitter today because Andy Burnham has responded to a report that went out yesterday uh, in which it was claimed that an awful lot of police officers in the Greater Manchester Police are mistreating young women uh, basically taking, uh, taking them into police stations, strip-searching them, uh, drugged and sexually assaulted by officers while in custody. That's the claim. It's an incredible claim. But let's talk to Maggie and find out what it is all about. Maggie, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I mean, uh, this is a shocking story, isn't it? I saw uh, some of the footage yesterday on Sky. and um, They've done well to do this in- investigation. But it seems incredible. Um, when you watch the footage, it's, it's really quite shocking, isn't it? It really is shocking, Mike. Um, I think what I would like to make very clear, though, first of all, because it didn't come out in the Sky piece, is that those three cases are all cases that we at the Maggie Oliver Foundation have been fighting for quite a long time. One of them them two years, one of them 18 months, and say, you know, for perhaps three months. Um, But the only reason that that piece has come to the mainstream media is because at the Maggie Oliver Foundation, all those women contacted us independently. And actually there is a fourth woman. Um, And it was because we were able to uh, piece them together and show a pattern of behavior in this particular custody office. And we have been highlighting this within Greater Manchester Police for many months in our week uh, monthly meetings. We took it to the Police and Crime Commissioner and yet action has still not been taken. So what 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 horrifies me really is that once again it is only when the mainstream media pick up cases like this and highlight them that we then do see some kind of action and after that piece yesterday um we've now got an independent review um being um headed by dame vera baird who i admire greatly mm. um there's been another referral to the iopc but these questions should have been addressed and dealt with you know many many months ago through our intervention and through the facts that show that these young women have been treated horrendously and they have been trying to get answers they've been trying to get cctv footage um, of what happened when they were being detained. Yeah. And all three of them have been denied that. I see this, Mike, as an abuse of power. And that is why the Maggie Oliver Foundation actually exists to give women like these women a voice when they are being squashed and trampled all over and ignored. And it is just not right. Um, you know, the public hear what we're saying. I'm really grateful to you for giving. Um, giving me a chance to say these things, Mm. we wouldn't exist without public support, without their donations, without their encouragement. Um, And that would mean that women like this would go unheard and without a voice. Um, You know, I will do everything within my power to prevent that 
um, from becoming the norm. Yeah, and we have great admiration for you, Maggie, and all the work that you've done uh, over the course of years in several different investigations. But tell us a bit about this particular uh, situation here. Zaina Iman is one of the, uh, the one of the women uh, who came to see you. Tell us what happened to her and 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 why she thinks it happened to her and what and what this this is all about. Well, Zaina is is. Uh, extremely um, brave. She is a real warrior um, and she has waived her anonymity to speak out. Um, she is saying that she was um, arrested at a home address when she admits that she was high on cocaine. Right. Um, she actually knocked a policewoman's glasses off her head um, and was then taken into custody. But she was kept in custody for many, many hours. I think it was 38 hours, but right. don't quote me on that. Um, and there should be CCTV footage covering every part of her detention, which she has been fighting to get access to for well over two years. Mm. Now, if the police, if Greater Manchester Police had nothing to hide, why would they not share that CCTV footage? Why would they um, only share selected little parts of it? Um, and it was when she was finally taken to um, a hospital that they said that she had been sexually assaulted. That could only have happened when she was in police custody. So there are many, I don't know what happened in that custody office, um, Mike, but I know that there are serious questions to answer. Mm. And what we've been saying in our meetings with GMP is that these questions need to be answered. And yet until yesterday, um, they pretty much refused to do anything about it. Suddenly, you know, the media covers it. We've got an immediate statement from the Deputy Chief Constable. Um, we've got an independent um, review being um, raised mm. and we've got the IOPC looking at it. So, you know, there are answers, there are questions to be answered and they could very quickly be cleared up if the CCTV footage, which Zaina has applied for, were released to her as she's entitled to get through the Freedom of Information Act, but it has been edited and filtered and um, cut into pieces. And she is a very bright young woman um, and she has been fighting to have her voice heard. The, the other two women that are in this um, piece of uh, journalism on Sky News, uh, one's called Kirsty. We've been fighting alongside her for 18 months. She has also been treated horrendously. She did nothing wrong other than challenge the police about the treatment of her sister and two other children who alleged that they had been raped by a man in Manchester and no action was taken. When Kirsty challenged GMP, she was targeted and arrested and strip searched and prevented from having toilet paper, not given her drugs and medication, um, humiliated and treated inhumanely and without any kind of respect. Um, the third young woman, uh, referred to as Maria, I actually was with until about three hours on the day that she was arrested. Um, she had been a victim of horrific um, domestic violence the mm. night before. And the police had turned up, her partner had been arrested, um, and he had the money, the keys, all her possessions, and he was in custody. Mm. All she was asking for was access to those uh, to some money so she could get home for t two hours away. Right. Um, and eventually they came out and they locked her up for malicious communications. She was strip searched. They told her to sit on a bed and open her legs so they could look inside her private parts. These are humiliating 
uh, unacceptable mm. treatment of women in police custody. And in custody, they should have their rights upheld. There is no excuse for treating women in custody in this way. And it really needs to stop and yeah. it needs to be exposed. Absolutely right. Andy Burnham's been speaking today. He says there's going to be a, an independent investigation. Have you identified one custody suite, as it were, or uh, is, yeah. uh, one group of, of, of officers in, in, individually? Yeah, th this is one custody office. I, 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 you know, I can't, I don't, I can't say it on here, but it is one custody. No, suite. I wouldn't want you to. That's okay. No, but you know, it's one custody suite, and we are aware of four completely unconnected women um, who have come to the foundation. I don't know how many other women there are who might have been treated this way in that custody suite. But four is four too many. One would be horrendous. Two maybe a coincidence. Three and then four. I'm sorry, I don't accept that this is just um, um, one-off. I believe that this is a pattern of behaviour in this custody suite. What I would say is that, yeah, I know Andy Burns has been speaking out today, but um, one of my colleagues in the foundation actually took Kirsty to a face-to-face -face meeting with Andy Burnham on Tuesday. Um, so he was well aware of this before um, this Sky right. footage um, was aired. Mm. And we do work with uh, the Police and Crime Commissioner um, and Andy Burnham's office in trying to get these things addressed. We we, we believe, I believe, that um, you know communication and working together is the only way to change these... Um, it's an abuse of yeah. power, man. It totally is. And it's absolutely outrageous because the footage itself, I mean, obviously you can't prejudge these things, but the footage is harrowing. It's awful. It, it looks as if the women are terrified. You know, the way yeah. they're being treated, you can see that one of one of the women is, is lying face down, uh, wearing yeah. some kind of oversized shorts I think they made her wear after they stripped her. Uh, she, her hands are cuffed behind her back. I mean, it's just horrendous. But, I mean, isn't uh, Manchester Police already in special measures? What does this mean for them? No, they've come out of them. You know, they've got a new. We've got a new chief constable, Stephen Watson, who I would say is. Um, I mean, I have to say that with you, you mean your viewers will know me because of the Rochdale case, an ops fan. Um, now that took ten years to get an acknowledgement and an apology about the behaviour of GMP in that case. Mm. The new chief constable actually did apologise for that. So he has done um, a couple of. You know. He is more willing to communicate, and I have seen him acknowledge those failures, for which I'm really grateful. Um, but he did know about these cases because we have been repeatedly highlighting them in our regular meetings with Greater Manchester Police. So I'm really disappointed that action wasn't taken before we had mm. to go to the media with them. But, you know, the way we work, we, we will try and resolve an issue like this early doors. If we can't, then we will go to the Police and Crime Commissioner, to Andy Burnham's office. Following that, if still, nothing still happens, we will come to the media. And, you know, anybody who wants to see all the footage should go to my Twitter feed, Mike, which is um, Maggie Oliver UK, okay. where I heard it yesterday. Um, but it really is um, horrifying what very vulnerable women who are powerless in a police custody office are having to endure and, you know, having to fight for two years to get to the bottom of it. Zaina was unconscious. You know, I'm a former police officer. So to leave a woman in that unconscious state, face down on a bed with her hands um, handcuffed behind her back, number one, is extremely dangerous. Yeah. 
Um, and number two, she should not have been left in a belt mm. um, because that alone is, is a risk. Um, so, you know, these things all need answers and they could have very easily, if there is nothing to hide, which um, I have to say I find difficult to yes. believe, but if there was nothing to hide, then releasing the CCTV uh, would immediately counter any of these allegations. That hasn't happened. In the case of Kirsty, the same thing. She's been fighting to get um, the CCTV from her time in custody and has had no joy. In relation to Maria, I would argue that as a, a victim of horrific um, domestic abuse, um, she shouldn't have been arrested in the first place. But there is a lot more to Maria's story that I can't go into yeah. here. Um, th these cases are worrying. And when you're doing work like I'm doing and like we're doing in the Maggie Oliver Foundation, um, we see things repeatedly that are not right. And the police, Mike, are a public service and they are mm. accountable. And when things like this happen, they must be held to account because that is why trust in the police is at an all-time low and when you see these kind of incidents um that is no surprise it really isn't maggie listen it's it's a, it's a terrible story but thanks very much again for bringing it to our attention and for uh, explaining your role in it as well maggie oliver uh, we'll check back in with you i'm sure uh, once something is properly investigated and we find out what really happened uh, in this greater manchester police custody suite uh, that's Maggie Oliver, former detective constable, of course, and a campaigner uh, on behalf of an awful lot of young women who are very thankful that she has campaigned on their behalf. Coming up next, we'll take some calls. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the home of common sense. Of course, the place where you get the truth, the whole truth, or nothing but the truth, or even and nothing but the truth. We're going to get some truth uh, coming up in a moment from Reverend Stu Campbell. Uh, he's the editor of Wings Over Scotland. We've been talking an awful lot this week, and in fact for the last two weeks, uh, about the NatWest scandal, uh, about the problem uh, for the uh, Nigel Farage uh, situation. Dame Alison Rose's departure from NatWest this week has not stopped the news from coming because it now looks like uh, she may get some kind of payoff in lieu uh, of a year's notice, which would amount to over a million pounds if she was given it. Now, based on the fact that we own something like 39% of the shares in NatWest, surely we, as major shareholders, should have a say in whether she uh, should be in any way paid off. I don't think she should be. It looks like she's committed gross misconduct by leaking details uh, of a customer's um, actual financial business, personal financial dealings, uh, to um, Simon Jack, the business editor of the the BBC, who's also behaved uh, pretty badly as well. But we're going to talk now to the Reverend Stu Campbell, editor of Wings Over Scotland, uh, because he suffered a similar fate uh, sometime before this. Um, but of course, it wasn't actually with Nat West. And it goes to show you that it's not just one bank that's doing this. Uh, Stu, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks very much for, for, for coming on. I feel as if I know you because I've been sort of following your Twitter account for, for some years. And uh, I suppose it might be fair to say you've, you've had a few controversies over the years uh, with various yeah. people. You're, uh, you're quite outspoken about several things, including the SNP, which we might get on to, actually. But tell us your story uh, and what happened to you. Yeah, so I was just out having a, having a walk about a month ago. I popped into St. Bruce to buy some milk. Got my card declined. Phoned up the bank. Bank said, "Oh, we don't, we don't know what this is about. Can you, can you check your app?" So I checked the app on my phone, and all of my accounts 
my savings account, my credit card account, my um, my current account, they just vanished. Mm. They they just weren't there at all anymore. There was no message, no sign, um, no possible explanation. Mm. So I got back to the bank and they went, hmm, don't know. They put me on hold for an hour. And then they said, oh, sorry, the people that deal with this, have, they, they, they stop at five o'clock. So you'll have to wait till tomorrow. Mm. So I had a I had an evening of kind of panicking that somebody had hacked my bank accounts right. and stolen them all. And then the bank just got back to me and said, oh, no, we've, we've decided to close your account and we're not going to tell you why. And you see, that's the bit that I think people find the most incredible that, that you know, all right, if you want to take a decision about, you know, your, your personal customers and you want to give them um, a short shrift and you want to say, we don't want you anymore, surely they must be duty bound to tell you why. Well, you would hope so, but they were they were very adamant. They were quite blunt about it. They mm. said, there's just no way we're going to give you any explanation for this. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no way you can challenge it. It's just happening. Tough. Right. And this is was this HSBC? Uh, yeah, First Direct, which is uh, an HSBC yeah, yeah. Okay. operator. So, I mean, because the other question that people ask me, and I, I was watching Nigel Farage the other night, and he was saying, um, that if he doesn't get an answer or a suitable answer out of Coots, he's going to turn up at Coots with a uh, with an armoured truck, and he's going to. I mean, obviously, he's got a lot more money than, than we have. He's going to get an armoured truck. He's going to fill it up with the cash and drive off with it. Because the first question would always be, well, what happens to your money, and what did happen to your money? Yeah, well, I mean, the bank they they held it and they said, well, we can't. There's no way we can release this until you've got a new bank account with someone else. Um, so luckily, I managed to to do that. I sorted mm. out an account with another high street bank right. and uh, about a week later i managed to get it transferred but for yeah for a week i basically couldn't buy anything i had no cash cards yeah. and for most of us i mean yeah. you know that's the one thing that you've got your money in you don't most of us don't walk around with ones of cash anymore and if you can't get mm. cash suddenly you know you didn't know you needed it you don't have it it's as simple as that right yeah yeah i mean it's it's remarkable i went the same day i managed to lock myself out of my flat <laughs> and i i walked into town to to get my to get my estate in the, the letting agent onto it yeah and he said oh yeah we'll come i'll come back in with the spare key but i'll be about 45 minutes right. so i said that's all right there's a pub across the road i'll i'll wait in there and right. i popped to the pub across the road and it was a pub that didn't take catch oh so yeah, i couldn't even have a pint that's awful isn't it and so i mean when you went to open another account did they ask you why you needed to open an account or were they quite sort of open were they were quite happy for you just to go yeah, i'm not going to tell you why uh, but i'm going to you know did, did you have to explain anything to them no, and uh, that's one of the weird things about it, because you would think if 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 I was on some kind of list for mm. people who, you know, politically questionable or in some reason, that would have applied at the new bank. Right. But it didn't. I had, I had absolutely no trouble. I just I filled out an online application. They they approved it in minutes. Right. And then it was just a case of waiting to get all the cards and stuff. Yeah. So this was because that's, that's the other question I've I've always got is that how does this affect somebody's credit rating? Because I had a pro- I had a problem a few years back where somebody basically somehow managed to get a second copy of a credit card on an account of mine. I had it delivered to my house and then took nicked it out of the mailbox and started spending money on it. And I said to the bank, you know, if, if I'd asked for another credit card, you wouldn't have sent one to me. How has this happened? But it affected my credit rating because it was like a sort of, um, you know, somebody stealing your identity. So is your credit rating been affected by this bank closure? Um, I, well, I don't know yet. Um, I, haven't had, I mean, I don't imagine it would probably take a little bit of time to go through. I mean, yeah. the main problem, main actual hassle for it for me has been all the the inconvenience because my accounts were shut down with no warning at all then i had to i had to find out what 
all the direct debits and whatnot right. that were coming out of my account and then manually kind of reinstate them. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've been three weeks of admin and paperwork still chasing all that down and getting all that sorted out. Yeah, what a um, yeah whether whether it'll have an effect on my credit rating or not, I, I don't know. That could be another yeah. another. And, I mean, and do you suspect that this is a political thing? Do you think that they've looked at your social media? Because they've all admitted now, all the banking groups, the main banking mm. groups have admitted that if there's a complaint, uh, so they say, they are entitled to have a look at your social media accounts to see what you might be saying about stuff. But of course, we know, you and I, you and I both, that you know any bozo can make a complaint about you um, mm. doesn't mean it's actually uh, true. Well, I mean, I know for a fact that Wings has had financial services closed down quite recently because of my political views. Mm. I, in last December, we set up a, a, a subscription drive with a, a fundraising platform called Cofine. Right. And um, I got a letter from them, in, an email from them in December saying, oh yeah, we've had a look at your site, which is associated with your fundraising page, and we've decided that because of your, um, quote marks, anti-trans content, oh, yeah. Then you can't you can't have a have a page with us anymore, and they they just shut the page down. And they you know they explicitly told me it was for that reason. Yes, your and, an, your anti-trans stance being your opinion on stuff. Yeah, being being be believing that there are only two sexes and that you can't Shocking. flip. Controversial. I mean, I, know, I saw some of the stuff you're doing today about some character who's threatening to egg Keir Starmer because he's actually yeah. finally admitted that he knows what a woman is. Mm, scary, a scary, scary man. But yeah, I mean, First Direct's head of financial crime or security or whatever it is, is a, is a very hardcore uh, transgender rights mm. campaigner mm. called um, Hannah Graff, who is a, a bloke who used to be in the army, had no history whatsoever, has no record in banking or crime or finance, mm. and yet has become HSBC's head of of financial crime right. or so it is, it, 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 it is extraordinary how banks like have time. become so woke because i don't think any of us really quite realized i mean i noticed a while back on my banking app that they were willing if i wanted them to to uh, to to sort of quantify my carbon footprint as to how i was spending my money and I looked oh. at it and I thought, this is an absolute load of old cobblers. They've literally made it up. You know, they basically take the amount of money that you move around or spend and give and calculate some kind of carbon um, emissions footprint from it, which is just simply fairy tales. You know, it's not real. It's not based on science. And it says something like at the end, uh, oh, uh, this month you've spent the equivalent of, uh, of, of, uh, of 55,000 mobile phones or something in energy and you're kind of going well one i don't care two i didn't ask you to do it three it's a lot of old rubbish yeah well i mean the woman who's just resigned as the ceo of nat west yeah i was reading a piece about her in the telegraph from when she got the job and she all that she talked about in this interview about becoming the the, the ceo of nat west was diversity and climate change yes and i thought when did we when did we delegate that to the banks right. exactly Yes. And also, she's talked about wanting to make sure that all of the NatWest branches in Britain uh, were filled with recyclable carpet. And I'm kind of going, OK, I'd rather you just actually ran the bank properly. I mean, she's lost some ridiculous amount, I think 800 million off the share price. Three percent went yesterday. Um, uh, she's made she, she's actually produced fewer profits for this bank than, than they've ever had. And as you say, you know, she's also more importantly sitting on uh, or was until yesterday sitting on one of um, the net zero department's climate change committees in government. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the weirdest thing, you know, in the when I grew up in an era where banks were evil capitalist monsters. Yeah. And, you know, 
Yeah, now Coots, now Coots is getting defended by socialists. Yeah. It's a rather bizarre world in which we find ourselves. So, so have you tried to get any kind of answers out of anybody more senior at the bank than you spoke to? No, I mean, I've put in a subject access request for all my data and stuff, and that's, that's sort of grinding through the... Right, the so could you do what Nigel Farage did then and get, that, get all that information out of them? Um, theoretically, so yeah, they're, they're not massively uh, willing to, to provide anything useful so far, but <laughs> it's still going on, so right. we can... Yes, it's a bit like the Freedom of Information Act, isn't it? They want you to apply for things, but then they just keep telling you they can't find it or it's too expensive or something like that. Well, it's, it's, at least it's got a happy ending, your story, it would seem, as your business is, is continuing and, and, and all's well that ends well, perhaps. I can't let you go without asking you about the current state of the uh, Scottish government. Hamza Youssef coming out this week saying that uh, he might want to make people sell off their houses after they've changed their gas boiler over to a heat pump. Um, it's all going a bit wrong up there, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I I find myself in a, a position that I never expected me myself to be in, which is spending most of my time criticising the Scottish government at the moment. It, it appears to be a complete shambles. It yeah. appears to really be being run by the Scottish Greens, and I don't. It think really does, doesn't it? I mean, how has Patrick Harvey become so powerful? I, it's 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 a thing that we we ask ourselves a lot in the independence movement, and none of us have a very good answer for it. I'm yeah, because I remember Patrick Harvey when I was working up there sort of in the early part of the 2000s and he was a rather eccentric, sort of insignificant kind of little guy. And now suddenly he's kind of the king of Scotland. Yeah, I mean, we, we have no real idea what the SNP are getting out of this deal. There, there doesn't seem to be any benefit to it at all. The, all they're doing is destroying the credibility mm. of the SNP government with harebrained, badly thought out policies that crash and burn on a daily basis. It's, yeah. a, it's a real old mess and we don't know where it's going. No, it really is weird. Well, listen, great to talk to you anyway. We must get you back on again um, and let us know when you find out perhaps if they, get, if they did stop your bank account for political purposes. We'd love to, uh, love to hear the story. Uh, Reverend Stu Campbell, editor of Wings over Scotland there, proving that uh, uh, First Direct can also do what uh, Nat West did to Nigel Farage. So we'll keep taking your stories, by the way, on this. I haven't said it much this week, but if you've got a story of how your bank account was suddenly uh, withdrawn from you uh, and you certainly weren't able to use it anymore and you don't really know why, I mean, there's loads and loads of people who seemingly have had it done uh, to them by Nat West. So by all means, let us know. 0344 4991 thousand. Uh, we can tell you that uh, going on right now, uh, another breaking news story, Louis de Zoiza is being sentenced for the murder of Metropolitan Police Sergeant uh, Matthew Ratana. You might remember that story. He shot him in a custody centre uh, in Croydon on 25th of September 2020. Uh, the hearing is going on, as you can see there, the judge is speaking. Um, as soon as the verdict comes, we'll bring it uh, to you right here. Live on Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.